Wherever you are, however your day or night's been going, I hope you feel as inspired as I am after this episode with Amanda Alipat to take a moment to see how we feel in our bodies and take charge of how we mother our children and ourselves. This is Early Care for Every Kid, a podcast for people who want to make learning, living, and loving more harmonious for everyone. I'm your host, Danielle Ahn. Each week, I interview fellow parents, educators, advocates, and community leaders who care for and work with young children and families. I share their experiences, insights, and specific actionable tips on how you could help make the world work better for everyone. Amanda Alipat is on a mission to support and elevate women. She is a home birth mama, seasoned yoga teacher, and veteran personal trainer who was once a competitive champion boxer. Amanda has two small children and an artist husband. She splits her time between New York City, their retreat home and art gallery in the Poconos in Pennsylvania, and Costa Rica, the destination of their upcoming family retreats. Amanda believes strongly in both physiologic birth and mothering and is the practitioner of Rye, a respectful approach to parenting. She loves growing her own food, unschooling her daughter, breastfeeding her son, hosting women's circles and retreats, all while cultivating sisterhood and community. Welcome to our conversation with Amanda Alipat. I'm so grateful to have you today because you are on a mission. You are a woman, (laughs) a force on a mission to support and elevate women Mm -hmm. and womanhood and motherhood, sisterhood, Mm -hmm. community, rewilding. Mm -hmm. Could you please tell me how you came into the space of birthing and rewilding motherhood? What does that mean? Okay. So I'll give you the summary. I got into the fitness industry 20 years ago, and that is before Instagram and before social media. And so I was one of the only women in the industry. And as such, I trained many female clients because they looked to me as opposed to big bulky men. And I had years of one-on-one with women. And of course I would encounter pregnant women. So I got pre and postnatal certified because I wanted to make sure that what we were doing was safe. And I just fell in love working with pregnant women and new mothers. And from there I got into yoga and I did a pre and postnatal yoga teacher training. And within that training, the word doula came into my stratosphere. Prior to that, I never really heard of doulas, but it just seemed like this natural progression. Okay, I'm going to train a woman through her pregnancy. And now I have the skill set to support her in her birth. And then I could train her after the birth. And so it was just this natural progression and evolution of my career. And so I became a doula and I assisted many births. And I knew through that experience that when it came time for me to have my own children, I really wanted to have a home birth. And so four years ago, after 70 hours of labor, I gave birth to my daughter at home. Most recently, six months ago, I had my son also a home birth, wildly different than the first. And in between, when I was newly pregnant with my son, I went on a women's retreat and sat in 
many circles during that week. I had sat in circle before and I actually hosted several women's circles before because I always was really drawn to community and connection. We have a backyard space in Manhattan. I would host one day women's retreats and me and my husband did many retreats. I was always hosting play dates and we were always sitting in circle. And so from there, the retreat really showed me that I need to be doing more of this. And that was right before COVID hit. So I came back, me and my friend were like, we're going to host monthly women's circles and we're going to do all this stuff. And then the world shut down. So we started hosting them online and we still do it monthly. I just feel really called and really passionate about reminding women that birth belongs to us and that we're currently living in Mm -hmm. a monoculture of birth which basically means everyone's having very similar experiences. We don't even know that we have these options and it's highly medicalized and women are very passive Mm -hmm. through the experience. And we've been fed this line that we should only want a healthy mom and a healthy baby, which is actually like code word for like, you make it out alive. If you have an alive baby and you're alive, that's how low the bar is. Be grateful. Be grateful. And it diminishes the experience. And for me, I really strongly believe that the experience is so profound and so pivotal. Women need to reclaim it and recognize Mm -hmm. the ripple effect that how a woman births really could color how she goes into mothering, how she feels about herself, her perspective of the world her own level of self-confidence, and how she bonds with and treats her child. Mm -hmm. So really, that's where I feel my work needs to focus on. Even if we are not in the maternal space, I think the culture that we are in excludes so many different options for Mm -hmm. women because we don't know about Mm -hmm. our options. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish I knew more Mm -hmm. about my body about the different ways of birthing, even before I went into pregnancy or in the early stages of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Naturally, I thought, okay, I'm going to do whatever my mother did. But the standards are really, truly so low. So low. The bar is so low. I feel like it's important to reiterate this point. You only give birth once, right? You only have like one shot. Of course, if you have multiple kids, but each birth is a singular event. You don't get a do-over. With mothering, if you make a mistake, you could course correct. You could do better next time. You could learn from your mistakes. With birth, it's one chance. That's why it's so important for women to be educated and to take some time before it happens to make sure they know what their options are. Because if they don't know what their options are, they don't have any. I feel like with pregnancy, the focus becomes carrying the child to term and how to ensure a healthy pregnancy. But the focus is really just on the child inside and not even much discussion of delivery options. So how do you support in your work the motherhood journey and the space around that? So I really start with preconception, which I know for some people might be a radical idea that there's preparation and there's steps that could be taken even before you get pregnant. Because Mm -hmm. in my perspective, you want to set yourself up for an optimal experience and the most healthiest, vibrant, beautiful, solid, healthy, robust baby. And that really starts with the state of your body. 
So I will start mm-hmm. with women to boost their nutrition, to as much as possible detox their homes, eliminate, you know, harmful products, maybe investing in a water filter, an air filter, right? Like really getting yourself to a place where you create the space to call in your child. That could also look like looping in your partner, financially planning for a baby, literally clearing your home, shedding some stuff. That could be a ritual where you sit in circle and you pray to your baby and you make contact with it and say, yes, I'm ready for you. Please come. So preconception, I feel very strongly about my husband and I, we personally took 18 months to prepare for our first child. With our second, we took about three months, but we had already implemented so much from the first baby. And you want the best quality egg and sperm. (laughs) We took almost two years to plan and prepare for our wedding, which is like a party, Mm -hmm. right? I just don't see how... And of course, sometimes you just get pregnant. Great. But I really think there's something to be said about going in with intention and clarity and and consciousness. Is there Mm -hmm. anything else that you might want to add to the discussions that you had? Besides clearing your physical space, your mental space, intentionally inviting the things that you want for the child, as well as logistical things like finance, parenting, Mm -hmm. philosophy, Mm -hmm. and having your partner on board. Is there Mm -hmm. anything else that you might want to add to that? Could be also movement, exercise, especially if a woman is sedentary or conversely working out really hard and thinking she has to kill herself at the gym, developing a movement practice, um, thinking about your relationship with your partner. Having a child's going to expose gaps in your marriage and cracks, if you will. And so what things might be coming up or what things may come up later on, where do you need to solidify What kind of female support are you surrounded by? Do you have other friends in a similar stage of of their lives? Do you have any kind of sisterhood who's supporting you? We talk about maternity leave, what that looks like. For someone like me who's self-employed, I had to, in those 18 months, financially save because there's no one paying my maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And really whatever comes up for the woman, she wants to spend all of our time focusing on diet and, and eating for optimal fertility and optimal pregnancy, that's cool. But there's so many different sort of facets to look at and examine and what's your connection to God, right? Because there is a mystery to all of this. There is a magic to all of this. So there's many layers. So preconception mm-hmm. during the pregnancy, you offer that kind of ongoing support mm-hmm. as well as during delivery and mm-hmm. after birth. And then postpartum and then parenting. Yes. Could you tell me about the birthing as well as after delivery? Because I think physically and I think even more mentally doing something that you never thought you could do Mm -hmm. is truly a transformational event that happens for any mother and even the father. Could you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about the importance of the support that you need afterwards? I find that it's a big missing piece because there is a lot of emphasis on the pregnancy. There is a lot of emphasis on the birth. And then there's really not much talk about, especially the immediate postpartum, but also the ongoing postpartum. And even if you think about care providers, they see you at your six week mark after giving birth. And then they're like, okay, good luck. Good job. Good luck. (laughs) See you when you, if you, when you get pregnant again, and six weeks is nothing. So my work is to also hopefully in pregnancy, have the woman and her family start thinking about what kind of layers of support they have. 
what kind of support they want. So that might be a postpartum doula. That might be a mother-in-law or a mother to come and stay or family. That might be some friends, maybe setting up a meal train. For some couples, it's a baby nurse. So just thinking about what they are comfortable with, what they could afford, where they see they're going to need the most help. Like for me, I didn't want a baby nurse because I didn't want someone sleeping in my house. I wanted to be the one to wake up with my baby. But for some other women, they really want that sleep through the night. So that would be something. Also, who's going to be taking care of the mother? Who's going to be feeding her? Who's going to be tending to her needs? Who's going to be massaging her or checking in with her emotionally and making her feel like it's okay to rest? Who can she really trust with her baby for a half an hour or an hour so she could recover? Who's going to be doing the laundry, grocery shopping, the dog walking? And if the father, let's say, or the partner has a week off from work or two weeks off, who is going to hold space for that mother when all of a sudden it's her and her baby alone all day, every day? So we talk about that. I also talk about postpartum nutrition. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like everyone should have some kind of body work or pelvic floor therapy or some kind of practice to help restore their body. You know, in some countries, it's standard of care. You get like 10 sessions with the pelvic floor therapist. Here, we don't. So you have to be more proactive. I could talk about with them yoni steaming, which is a very nice practice. Some women like to have a belly bind, just something to close them up in a way. Okay. Hang on. What is yoni steaming? (laughs) Yoni steaming. (laughs) Is (laughs) Is, what I think it is. <laughs> yep. It's, you could think of it as a facial for your vagina and your vulva. So basically yes. you would get okay. a collection of herbs that you bring to a boil and then mm-hmm. you place it in a bowl. Mm-hmm. And there are like yoni steaming stools, which I have. But mm-hmm. before I had one, I would put the bowl in the toilet and then sit backwards on the toilet mm-hmm. so I could lean over. Mm-hmm. And it's basically... Wonderful. <laughs> you know, it has a lot of therapeutic benefits and healing. And again, it's like the intention, right? Like I'm setting an intention for healing and I'm carving out this time and I'm prioritizing my self care. And look, but if you have a beautiful, wonderful birth without tearing, but your pelvic floor and your lady parts still definitely took a. I don't want to say that. Yeah, or <laughs> definitely were pushed and stretched. I'm just curious because I come from an Asian culture. And in my two postpartum experiences, I was advised by my mother to have a postpartum, I don't want to say doula, but a postpartum caretaker for Mm -hmm. me and the baby. And I don't know how I might have survived without that. My mother was not here Mm -hmm. for especially my first birth. And I thought that was mostly like an Asian cultural thing. So this is really interesting for me because I feel like in mainstream, I'll say America, mm-hmm. it's not widely talked about mm-hmm. or discussed the postpartum caretaking and recovery for mothers. There's a lot of focus on feeding diaper changes. Bouncing you know. back. Get yes, back to work. If, sleep yeah. train your baby. As if nothing them, happened. As if nothing happened. Yeah. As if within... Six to twelve weeks, you, you're expected to. You're just, supposed to, yeah. yeah. So I, I do think other cultures do a much better job. My husband's Indian, and they have a lot of Ayurvedic traditions, certain massages, and just same kind of thing, like another woman coming to, yeah. to care for and tend to the mother. Whereas in this 
country, unfortunately, it's abysmal. It's an abomination, really, of what's the emphasis on getting back into shape. Mm-hmm. Exterior, uh, external exterior. measure. And it's no wonder that so many women have pelvic floor disorders, incontinence. Of course, of course, like there was no tending to, there was no healing, there was no time for recovery. And, you know, especially a lot of women are now isolated without any kind of support doing it yeah. all on their own, especially if you have multiple children. So part of my work is to tell families there are yeah, options out there. These, these are even options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, why do you think these are such mysterious things that people don't even know to ask about, to inquire about, to get curious about as options? Why do you think that is? Why is this kind of information not widely spread among expecting mothers? The postpartum Do you want the truth? Aspect. Yes, please. <laughs> I think the whole experience from preconception to postpartum has been co-opted by the medical system, the obstetric yes, medical yeah. system and the allopathic system, which is a for-profit business tending to, let's say, look for pathologies or interference or manipulation, control. control. Yes. A lot of it benefits of disconnect, right? Do they want a woman in their full power showing up to birth, wild and loud and moving around and primal? Or do they want a woman that's passive and medicated and numbed and obedient? Quiet. And unfortunately, there's so many women experiencing traumatic births. And then they're handing this baby and it's okay, good luck. And then breastfeeding is usually challenging. If they have any kind of tearing, right? No one is really serving them or supporting them. It's a damn shame. One of the teachers that I learned from, she says, if you want to look at the health of the planet, look at the health of mothers. And yes, I know so many women that are suffering, are really suffering. Yeah. Even from my own personal experiences and observations, when the mother is not in a good spot physically, mentally, whether it's from a recent birth and recovery and traumatic birth, or even a normal, mm-hmm. whatever is called a normal mm-hmm. <laughs> birth. It's just a really extraordinary event in a person's life. It's a physical, emotional experience. So I think that whole life stage, without that kind of support or mothering of the mother, there's no way that a mother could be in a space to provide care and nurture the child that needs a mother to survive and Because they really set the tone for the family. The mother yeah. usually sets the tone for the family. And look, I know all of this and I still right. didn't have enough support <laughs> in my most recent birth. And it really, mm. it made me want to like a do-over. Oh, why didn't I seek this out for myself. <laughs> was this during the pandemic? So that's part of it. Your second child, your right. son. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was uh, August of 2020. And so that mm-hmm. just, I don't want to say ruined so many things, but just like really made things so much more challenging. And because my husband is home and he works mm-hmm. from home, I kind of thought, oh, we'll be good. But as good as he Team. is, mm-hmm. he's not a woman. Was this a home birth? Yes. By yourself? By yourselves, do you and your husband? I I did have a midwife, uh, the same midwife that I had with my daughter. But I was Mm -hmm. really experimenting with and exploring the possibility of a free birth, which would be no medical person, Mm -hmm. no midwife, no doula, no OB, no no one trained in birth. And I had lengthy conversations with my Mm -hmm. midwife. She was very aware that this was a real possibility that I was just not going to call her. And I really wanted to do it on my own. 
And we ended up calling her because my labor, I was two weeks uh, past my due date and my labor went from like zero to a hundred. And my husband was, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call her. And we thought like she would come in and go <laughs> because my first birth was 70 hours. Mm-hmm. And so they came and they left and they came and they left. Yeah. And when she got there, I was really in it. And she said, look, I know you wanted a free birth. Do you mm-hmm. want me to leave? I can wait outside. And she ended up just sitting in the living room and I was in my bedroom. So in many ways, I got the birth that I wanted. I was fully in charge. I was the authority. I felt autonomous. No one was telling me what to do. I navigated it. And then I was really glad that she was there to hold space for me, to Mm -hmm. have this wise woman hold space and fully trust Mm -hmm. me. And my son had a bit Mm -hmm. of a hard time adjusting immediately after birth. And I was really thankful she was there for that period because I definitely got a little worried and nervous and she had to give him a couple of rescue breaths and we thought maybe we'd have to transfer to a hospital. And she just, she was so steady and she let's just see, let's just wait. And I knew that he was fine. Like I just kept checking in. I'm like, is my baby okay? My baby's okay. But he just wasn't settling and his respiration weight was mm. a little bit high. It's something called transient tachypnea, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of before. Of course, okay. I was a little bit blindsided. And within a few hours, he was fine. He just they're coming into the planet at this really intense time, this really dense time. And I was pregnant when this all happened, COVID and and the quarantining and the fear and babies absorb it and they can feel mom's stress and they feel Mm -hmm. their emotions and their, their thoughts. And even though I had a beautiful pregnancy for most of it, there were definitely moments where I was in panic especially one year ago around this time when no one knew what was happening and the world was shutting down. New York. Yeah. We fled our home in the city. We went to our house in Pennsylvania and I know that he felt that. I know that he absorbed some of that. So in hindsight, I'm not surprised. And he was nursing upon birth. Like he nursed right away. And so in a later conversation with my pediatrician, he said he wouldn't never have nursed if there was a real problem. Like if he really had a breathing issue, he wouldn't be able Mm. to nurse. So that was a clue that he was fine. And he was pink Mm -hmm. and he was, he looked good and he didn't have some of these other symptoms, but it was still a very terrifying moment. Mm -hmm. And that for me, color postpartum, I didn't sleep then that night because I was like, is he okay? Is he okay? And then I didn't sleep the next day, even though he was better. And then the next day, (laughs) and then for about six (sighs) weeks, he was a very fussy baby at nighttime. He would fuss all night long. And I just, you know, I couldn't figure out. And so we saw a lactation consultant and I took him to acupuncture and baby acupressure and pediatrician and cranial sacral and doing all these things because I'm like, is there something wrong? And then feeling so exhausted and so emotionally drained and right trying to figure it out. And then I've got no support, right? No other female around here. And then right around six weeks, it stopped. He settled. And (laughs) I think it was the cranial sacral that really helped him. What is that exactly? So it's a type of body work. So you have a fluid that goes through your spinal column and into your brain and cranial sacrals work with that fluid and that rhythm. I can't, I'm not trained in it. All I know is I tried it Mm -hmm. and my baby was better within one session and then three sessions in. He was no longer fussy. Could it be a coincidence? What does that look like? Is it a 
massage on the head and along the spine or so it's like very gentle tapping kind of it looks like from the outside my husband's like is she doing anything almost like chiropractice (laughs) where it's barely touching the body but there's like an energy or yep and just like tuning in and reading the energy and I was there and I was present and I was watching and I was observing. And then I did a session with her mm. because I had a lot of pain after my son came at 42 weeks and he was huge. He was two pounds bigger than my first child. Uh-huh. And I had a lot of pelvic pain after. Mm-hmm. And I saw that my son was benefiting yes. and I just felt this call. I'm, Can I do a session with you? Mm-hmm. And within one session... My pain was gone. And part of it, I know, was that she said, wow, you went through something, huh? This birth was something. I think you have like a little fracture on your tailbone and I could feel in your body that you went through something. And prior to that, no one really acknowledged that because who would acknowledge? I mean, yes, my husband's like, you're a goddess and you're amazing. And wow, you gave birth and that's incredible. But like for someone to just understand and see me. And, and validate. Yes. I feel like that was largely the healing. Mm. And then whatever hands-on stuff she did. Yeah. But I like got up from the table feeling better in my body. Mm. And her saying, yeah, your tailbone feels fractured. Yeah, no wonder why the birth was so hard for you. Mm. Like this, this is real. This is true. Mm. And all she did was she touched on a few, you know, around my pelvic bone and my sacrum. And, you know, it was a little bit let's say vulnerable because she's working on a part of the body that's, you know, a private part, an intimate part. And I was okay. She asked for consent. Can I touch you here? And I was laying with my baby, nursing my baby. And just, it was wonderful. Mm. And I was actually thinking my son's now six months just to go back for a a tune up. Yes. (laughs) You know, like to just stay in that healing space. For some of our listeners, including me, who may be a little bit like, what, what is all this energy and flow? Like if it seems too mystical for them, how might you explain that? Like in layman's terms, I want to make sure we don't lose people here. <laughs> I think in the yes. simplest terms, we're all energy. We're all vibration and everything has a charge. You know, even solid things are, are vibrations. We just don't mm-hmm. see it in that way because of this world of matter and density that that we're living in. And so a lot of these modalities work with the energy of the body, work with the energy of the spirit, work with the energy of the mind. You could call it the law of attraction, the law of magnetism, what you put out, you get back. You know, some people are really into it and harness it and use it like Mm -hmm. myself. Other people, you know, dismiss it or, you know, or be oblivious and not really not be part of it, not partake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've been exposed to this for many years of my life. To me, it seems obvious mm-hmm. that yes, a skilled practitioner working with the body could feel my energy, could sense where I need support, could feel that my body went through some kind of trauma yeah. and work to restore it. Mm-hmm. The same way that if I'm working with women in a fitness or yoga space and I could look at their body and I could see the way they move and I could listen to what they're saying to gain a holistic, integrated view of the person that's in front of me. I just want to pull on that. It's so, so important to acknowledge and see the whole picture of what's going on, not just zoom in and hone in on one thing. Of course, details matter, but I think it's really getting the full picture of what is going on in an individual's life circumstance to be able to provide the best care. 
Let's circle that back to the obstetric Mm -hmm. model, which again, most women have their prenatal appointments. They're 10, 15 minutes. You might get a scan. Any questions? No. Okay. Bye. Right. There's no, who are you? What's your experience like? How is it getting pregnant? What are you eating? Are you sleeping? How are you feeling? How's your relationship with your partner? How do you want to birth? Right. What's your dream vision for your birth? Right. Let's talk about the options that you have. Okay. It's like a, you know. Factory. Impersonal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so sometimes women are like, wait, it doesn't have to be like this. Yes. Like, of course it doesn't have to be like this. So I think this is so mind-blowing. Yeah. This is going to be so mind-blowing for so many listeners. And I hope it is. I hope it opens up our eyes and opens up our ears and our hearts and so that we can get more curious. We have to demand better. Yes. We have to demand better. It's not enough. <laughs> and just because 99% of of the people out there are birthing in this way doesn't mean it's normal. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's best. Doesn't mean it's respectful. Doesn't mean it's physiologic truth. Because once you understand physiologic truth, you understand what a mismatch the obstetric model of care is. And I'm not saying there's no place for it, right? Tell me about physiologic truth. So physiologically speaking, we are designed to give birth in the same way that you would probably take a poop or have sex, which is private, Mm -hmm. dim, uninterrupted, left to unfold, vulnerable, open, Mm -hmm. right? So if you think about those qualities that enable a woman to get out of her logical rational mind, Mm -hmm. right? And go into that more primal state, the primal brain, a state of surrender. Walking into a hospital, there's lights, there's sounds, there's strangers, there's people walking in and out, you're being monitored. Is even anyone checking in with you? It's definitely not private, right? You might have a doctor on call that you've never even met before, Right. right? And then, oh, let me check you, which is not consenting, right? Let me check you is not saying... Would you like to be checked, Mm -hmm. right? You have to ask permission to move. You have to ask permission to use the bathroom. You have to ask permission to eat. Mm -hmm. You have to ask permission to be in a position to push your baby. (laughs) Yes. Right? Whereas physiologic birth, you might be on all fours. You might be howling like a coyote. You might be moving around your apartment. (laughs) You might want to eat food. You might not want to eat food. You are the authority on the experience. And all those things take the woman out of that mindset. So it's no wonder that so many women are opting for epidurals because then you could just lay there and be very, very passive. And I'm not hating on epidurals. Again, all of these have their place. Yeah. But when you walk into a hospital that has a 95% epidural rate, Mm. they're not seeing physiologic birth. Mm. They're not used to wild birth, which is how we're made to give birth. So it's disturbing. You know, it's really disturbing when you really look at it through an honest lens. Is this the best way for women and people to birth? And the answer is no. Now, that's not saying there's not emergency situations. Thank God we have C-sections, right? Thank God. But should it be 30, 40, 50% of women? No. I read your 70-hour, three-day first birth piece that you have on your website. I don't know how you did it, but I could imagine your mindset. You had the support system, but even you, who's a trained doula and have witnessed and guided a lot of births, were at a point where you felt like giving up. 
So how has that birthing experience transformed you? Has anything surprised you from that experience? Oh my goodness. Well, prior to that, the longest birth I had supported and witnessed was Mm. 40 hours. So my point of reference was that if I was going to have a long birth, it was going to be about 40 hours. So mine ended up being almost double that. And so that really caught me off guard and by surprise because I had planned for and thought of what I thought, everything. What if we need to transfer? What if I go beyond my way past my due date? What if I need an induction? What if something happens? What if it's an emergency? What da 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 da? I never thought, what if I have a really, 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 really long labor? I'm thankful that I had so many tools to draw upon, whether that was visualization, meditation, birth ball, birth pool, shower, mantra, prayer, so many things, right? They did the rebozo on me. My doula was like lunch, squat. We did so many things. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I had the mental fortitude. I was also really committed mm-hmm. to to birth my baby at home. But most of all, I just kept checking in with myself. And I kept asking, am I okay? And is my baby okay? And they were telling me, your baby's fine. The heartbeat's fine. Your blood pressure's good. Everything's like, but I was like, am I okay? And the answer was yes. Mm -hmm. The answer was yes. And it's like, okay, this sucks. I really want this to be over. I don't know why it's taking so long. And my midwife kept saying, this is normal. We're having a normal birth. Like we just live in a culture and a society where like, we're always in a rush. Right. But like you are, you are tracking and first births take take a long time right now. So long. And then I thought, well, what's the alternative? What are my options? I could stay here in the comfort of my own home, in the safety of my environment, with my husband, with my doula, and just one contraction at a time. Or I could transfer to a hospital. Right now, of course, at this point, I was 50 hours in labor, oh let's say, like walking into a hospital that, you know, no sleep. They would definitely. Barely anything. I I know that they would scan me. I know that they would run all these tests. I know that they would give me some sort of pathology, inadvertently blaming me, like Mm. failure to progress, inadequate contractions. (laughs) I know that they would want to give me drugs. And I and I knew that I knew what the alternative was. Mm -hmm. And I just if I had that feeling inside of me like there is something wrong and we need to go, Mm -hmm. of course I'm gonna I wasn't gonna just stay home to prove everyone wrong. Right. But Mm. I was okay. Um, and look, I know part of that is I've been working out since I'm 14 years old. My life has been physical. Mm -hmm. I used to be a boxer for many years. Like I used to compete in boxing matches. I used to get punched and my training was four hours every day. So I'm no stranger to physical sensation and muscular burn and endurance and stamina and all of that. But even still, I was really very much pushed to the edge. And then I ended up pushing for three and a half hours. So it wasn't even like, okay, I'm finally ready to push. I thought like, I thought it was like, okay. And then it just took Mm. centuries. And I kept asking how many more, like my midwife would know, like how many more tell me? And she told me 11. Um, (laughs) And so I, I was like, okay, I could do 11 more. You know, because in training, it's like you do reps, right? You do, Mm, let's say, 10 or 15 of something. So I think that was really smart of her to Mm -hmm. say, okay, let's do 11 more pushes. Mm. I don't even – I think it was like 13. It wasn't Mm. that much longer. But then I went into motherhood so empowered, Mm -hmm. so confident, so clear, Mm. so fulfilled, so alert. Mm. I was on the high of a lifetime – 
and I was home. Yeah. Right. I was home in the comfort of my own home. I didn't have to go anywhere. Mm. I was in my own bed. I was in my own clothes. Um, my doula took a little piece of my placenta, made me a smoothie. I took a shower. And then four hours later, everyone left. And it was me, Sebastian, my husband, and our beautiful new daughter in bed together. Even the most experienced doula having that mental fortitude and the training and experiencing birth was beyond your expectations and your plans. I think having experienced that and got to go to the other side. And, and that happened with my second birth right, too. Right. That, okay, now I have even more experience. Mm. And I was still mm. taken by surprise. Right, right. Right. And so look, you could prepare, 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 prepare. And I, I want to go in as prepared as possible, as informed as possible, right. as ready as possible. So that way, when a curveball comes or when something happens, I have the capacity to go with it Yes, and not be totally thrown off by right. it. Right. Yeah. Less rigid and more flexible. Without compromising. Yes. Your standards and- What I know to be true for yes. me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how are you raising your daughter? I know you were also trained in Rye. Please tell me a little bit more. How's that mm -hmm. been for you? What does Rye stand for? <laughs> so Rye stands for Resources for Infant Educators. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky that when I was looking for a pediatrician, I knew who I wanted to use and he suggested a book. And said, hey, you might want to read this before your child is born. And I'm like an A-plus student. So like <laughs> someone's going to give me a book. I'm like, yes. Again, I, I want to be informed. And that was something we thought about. Like what kind of parents do we want to yes. be? And, and something I do in my pregnancy work as well. Like do you and your partner feel like there's a cohesion and alignment with how you view parenting and the choices you're going to make? And, you know, are you going to sleep train? Are you going to get a nanny? Are you going to feed your baby purees? Like there's so many different choices. So I was really thankful that he introduced me to this philosophy and I read a book and it just made sense. And I, I then introduced it to my husband because I am sort of the reader and researcher in our unit, mm -hmm. which I'm fine with, mm -hmm. you know, and I tend to, you know, like, Hey, we're going to have a home birth, <laughs> do this ride thing. Yeah. Um, and it gave us a framework and like a guidebook to which function from. And I'm like, I'm so appreciative of this because I feel like you have a baby and then it's like, now what? Mm -hmm. And so Rye is essentially a respectful approach to parenting. It was created by a woman named Magda Gerber and it's really for zero to two. Mm -hmm. However, it's not like at two, we stopped using it. It right. just changes a little bit. So I draw on the principles of Rye. I also am a big believer in attachment parenting. So co-sleeping, baby wearing, keeping babies close. And similar to the physiologic design of birth, physiologic design of babies. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's a mismatch with our modern and our modern. It's, a, it's an evolutionary mismatch. Tell me the physiologic truths of babies. They're not meant to sleep through the night. Right. <laughs> They're meant to stay on or close to moms. We're all designed not to soil ourselves, not to like pee or poop ourselves. We just train babies in that way by putting on diapers. We're not, babies are not meant to self-soothe. They're meant to be tended to and cared for around the clock. And look, I get it. I get that 
that's really hard without what we were talking about in the beginning, no support, no mm-hmm. family around, no, right. there's no village yes. anymore, yeah. right? So if you were living in a village, someone else could be cooking and cleaning and tending to all the other things. So really you could be with your baby and rest and focus on really tending to those needs, mm-hmm. right? Human needs. So yeah, it's really yes. hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so we live in this culture where the separation of mom and baby, I mean, they cut the cord within one second of the baby emerging, right? Like it's sleep train your baby, get it in a separate room, send it to school really early. It's like all of that doesn't hold reverence and respect for how we're biologically designed Mm. to be nurtured and cared for. I mean, even before the pandemic, if you weren't already in a multi-generational kind of environment or without that kind of support, it was just hard. And especially during the pandemic, as you went through with your younger son and already a toddler, I imagine she's probably four now. She's almost four. So if there Mm -hmm. are thankfully two adults, two caretakers in the household that can watch over to one for one, at least. And I think that's much easier mm-hmm. than having just one parent care for even one newborn or very young child who needs that kind of care. Mm. Like you said, physiologically, I think it's a human need, mm. a really basic need where a child has to have that kind of consistent care. And that's that should be a birthright to that child. I'm not going to paint it rosy. Yes, It's hard as hell. Especially if you're not meeting your own needs or no one is helping you, right? And then you'd have to constantly show up and tend to this small baby's very demanding, relentless needs for connection and care. But that's why I like Rye because it gave a workable approach on how to do that in a lot of ways. Mm. And I don't agree with all of attachment parenting. I don't agree with all of right. Again, I introduce these concepts and these ideas to parents and then Mm. yeah, formulate your own approach. Maybe, you know, you're going to sleep train because you cannot function without sleep. And that's what you have to do in order to show up for your child. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. At least you know that at least you're clear. You're not doing it because you feel pressure from your mother or your mother-in-law or society or your best friend who's got a baby that magically sleeps through the night on day two. You're doing it because that's your truth. Yes. You know that that's going to be best for your family, your baby, yourself, your life. I want to really say that I am not judgmental. I'm just, yes. I'm a truth teller. Yes. And you can't deny our biology and our physiology, mm. no matter how anyone paints it. I so appreciate that because I think the whole premise of even sharing these stories is because I really believe it doesn't matter where you are in your lifespan. You are on a journey and we all have a physical body that ages, that sometimes gets sick and will eventually die mm-hmm. and and go through birth and transformations, all of that. But I think it's really important as a society, as a culture that we normalize these conversations of what really happens to our bodies not just about mothering and childbirth and postpartum, but what our human body goes through. A lot of times we don't talk about these mm-hmm. things because it's uncomfortable and inconvenient mm-hmm. to discuss. So we just mm-hmm. cover up the symptoms with plastic surgery or medication without trying to really mm-hmm. acknowledge that we are experiencing these things. So I really appreciate what you call the mm-hmm. physiologic truths of our births, children and babies. Just acknowledging that mm-hmm. is huge. And then also you can't really argue with it, right? Like 
I didn't make us yes. this way. Yeah. You know, everything is so charged these days and so divisive. And I'm sure you've experienced this. You're shamed and guilted and criticized no matter yeah. what you do. You have a home birth, <laughs> you get judged. You have a C-section, yeah. you're judged. You co-sleep with your child till five, you're judged. You put them in a crib since day one, you're judged. We, we are living in a time of just like intense, intense judgment all around. And I'm really trying to flip it and say, do find what works for yes. you. Find what works for your family. Find what works for your baby. Be in your own truth. Yeah. Find your own path, right? Let me, sh- let me share with you some options, yes. right? Let me, let me tell you, let me show you the menu. Yes. <laughs> right. But it goes back to birth. If a, if a woman doesn't feel like she's the authority on her birth, she's probably not going to feel like she's the authority on making the best choices for her baby. Right. Right. It might defer to. And she'll question her judgment. You know, others. Yeah. And look, I definitely, I have a great pediatrician. I like my team that I have of body workers and healers and alternative doctors and Western doctors. So I will go and consult and gather information. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately I tune in and say, okay, what's my intuition? What am I feeling? What am I sensing? What is my truth? Can I feel into that? Taking into account all of this other information mm-hmm. to then arrive at a decision. Right. So you surround yourself and you make spaces where women can come together. I know during the pandemic, it's virtual, but you Mm -hmm. create these spaces called circles for women to experience together. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me just a little bit more about that? Yes. Women have been sitting in circle for forever. And I feel like the further we advance as a society, the less ritual we hang on to. And so sitting in circle with other women is a practice where we hold space for each other and we listen without judgment. We listen without rescuing, without offering advice, without interrupting or interfering. Sometimes a circle will have a theme. Sometimes a circle will just be, you know, sitting with women and sharing whatever is coming up. For me, it's a non-negotiable in my life. I need to be with women, sit with women, listen to women, hold space for women. I find it incredibly healing and so empowering and powerful and really a way not only to cultivate community, but to cultivate sisterhood Yes, and really own the parts of ourselves that make us women and make us mothers. And my husband's lovely and he's wonderful, but sometimes he just can't relate. And I've been actually encouraging him to lead men's circles and fatherhood circles because I know just as much as women have the need, we probably have more outlets and more conversation than our partners and our husbands do for the same kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know? And then when you're sitting in circle, you, yeah, I I feel that too. Yeah, that I that resonates. Yeah, I went through something similar. So it's really, really so powerful and it's a deep honor mm-hmm. really to hold these circles. And so me and uh, one of my best friends, Heather, we do it the third Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. It's virtual until it can be in person. And we theme it in different ways. Last month was self-love. Mm-hmm. And so everyone on the call had their own definition of self-love. But again, it was like we all related to each other, even though we had different stories, different backgrounds, different experiences, different reiterations. You start to realize, I start to realize, wow, we are, we all really are similar. We all really are connected. We really learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, when we listen, we want to rescue or offer advice or, oh, I have something where I, but in a circle, 
you don't say anything. Mm. One person talks, everyone listens. The next person talks. Unless a woman says, does anyone have advice for me? Or can anyone offer a suggestion? Otherwise, it's just the container to to share. Mm. And it's counterintuitive, right? Yeah, right. Because we want to speak. We want to share, right? But then you're not really listening if you're already thinking about what you're going to say. So it's good practice for all of us. Mm. I think that's really interesting. I know you also do book clubs, virtual book clubs, where you discuss certain books. Mm -hmm. Even just that Mm -hmm. kind of space, the ritual aspect of being in circle together, taking Mm -hmm. the time for yourself and taking the space without the interruption. I think that's really radical. I want to say that's probably really ancient. It's a ritual, but it's really Mm -hmm, radical in mm -hmm. today's world where we're always like, what can we do as a quick fix? Tips and tricks, you know, like hacks, Mm -hmm. shortcuts for doing all Mm -hmm. these things. So not rushing through the experience, Mm -hmm. almost like not rushing through the birthing experience or the pregnancy or whatever it is. Well, here's the thing. Birth is a rite of passage. Right. Whether or not it's perceived to be that way or thought to be that way, it is a rite of passage. And there's no mm-hmm. ceremony around it. There's no ritual. So we just did a women's circle. Mm-hmm. It's called a village prenatal. And it's where pregnant women in the community are in circle with other women who are not pregnant. If it's in person, we paint on their bellies. We put the flower crowns on. We maybe massage them or anoint them. And then the pregnant women speak mm-hmm. their dream birth in as much detail as they want without any any limit. Even if it's totally crazy, speak your dream birth to the group. We all hold it. And then you speak any fears. Yeah. And you just put you you just give it the space. And we listen. We listen and we hold it. And in our last village prenatal, then every non-pregnant woman who was there offered a token of wisdom for each woman. And it was so beautiful. And this is rewilding birth, sitting with other women, owning what you want. We did one where one woman was like, yeah, I just want to have a good birth. And it was just like, what what does that mean? What are you wearing? Who's with you? What do you do with the placenta? Who cuts the cord? Who delivers the baby? You deliver the baby, but you know, dream big, use your imagination, raise the bar for yourself. Yes. And so having a circle like that, gives women the opportunity and the encouragement and support in this space. Like, yes, go for this. Mm. This matters. Yeah. That kind of sharing, even just the options in that communal way is incredibly because pregnancy and birth, it's usually painted or experienced as really private and personal experiences that just the parents or parent goes through with their OB in most cases. Besides expecting mother's group, maybe on Facebook or something. So I think this is Mm -hmm. really great uh, where you can envision your ideal scenario and you Mm -hmm. come even more aware of Mm -hmm. the options that you have and step into that. And then let's talk about circling that back to we're all energy, including our thoughts. And if we live in a universe that functions on the principle of magnetism, how we think things are, you're more likely Mm -hmm. to get what you think and what you're envisioning, what you're focusing on and what you're dreaming and what you're saying consciously or unconsciously. So I'm like, boost your chances. Yes. Why not? Yeah. For both my births, I visualized a lot. I created a birth board with all these mantras and all these affirmations. And I just repeated, Mm. repeated, repeated, repeated to Mm -hmm. reprogram 
because we all have programming from our childhood, from our religion, culture, from society, mm-hmm. from media, that we don't even know it's not our own programming. But that's probably a whole other yeah. conversation to just, what do you believe? What do you believe? Not what you've been told to believe. What do you believe? Mm-hmm. So I would write out what I believe and then just say it mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But it was so beautiful too, because we did this village prenatal and then we all decided to go on a group text. Mm -hmm. And when the woman went into labor, she texted us and then we were all able to say a prayer, send her some good energy, like energetically be with her. And then she knew 10 women Mm. had her back. Yes. Right. (gasps) 10 women were like, we believe in you. We support you. Yes. Go for that. Go for that vision. And she had an amazing birth Mm. after a really traumatic first birth. Mm. Power, power. She reclaimed her birth. Yeah. She can Mm -hmm. then take that, have that confidence and knowing, really intuitively knowing what's wrong, what's working, what's not working, and then make the judgment, make the calls that is right for Mm -hmm. her and her family. So she had a traumatic first birth and she did a lot of work to prepare for the second And I saw her today and her baby's two weeks old Mm. and Mm. just had an amazing, amazing, her energy is different. Mm. Like, yeah, girl, you're so fucking powerful. And I'm sorry to curse, (laughs) but like, yes, I knew it. Yes. You know, like you owned it, you claimed it, you rewilded it, you did it. Mm. I wish that for all women going through this experience Mm. to walk through that rite of passage on the other side and be like, Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did do that. I own that experience. This is a whole other conversation we can have on a separate episode. But that kind of empowerment in itself is huge through the transformational experience of birthing. Like you said, reclaiming birth because the yep. messaging, the programming that we are absorbing throughout our early childhood, teen years, young adulthood, and even in partnership with our spouses, I think there's a lot of messaging in our workplaces, our families of origin, or in your own families. As you create your own family culture, there's a lot of little negotiations and messagings and programmings that you may have to like, is this working for me? Is this really true? So I think this is an opportunity where the mother really is the life force behind making the birth happen. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can really push the baby out for you if you're having that vaginal birth. So I think this is a huge opportunity. And that's what I remind women too. No one knows your body better. Yes. No one knows your baby better. Mm -hmm. Again, you might look to get opinions or information. I know many women who say, my husband doesn't want me to have Mm -hmm. a home birth, so I'm not going to have a home birth. Why Mm -hmm. is it on him to decide? It's not his experience. It's not his body. He is not pregnant. My work too is just, you're the star of the show. You get to decide. And I even say that on the first page of my website, you get to decide. Mm -hmm. I don't think women realize they allow other people to make the decisions for them. I assumed that was the only way. (laughs) A lot of these things that you're discussing, I didn't really know, is it safe? Is it going to be okay? What if there's an emergency? Of course, I know that you're not saying, don't ever go to a doctor again. Yes. And I want to make sure that our listeners know that that's not what Amanda is saying or I'm saying. I think it's just to not even know about the other options. Um, Because we're living in times of extremes, right? It's black or it's white. 
it's right or it's wrong. It's this or it's that. And life is just not life that there's so much nuance. There's so many layers. There's such gray areas. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, educate yourself, explore your options, ask yourself, what do I believe about birth? What do I want out of this experience? If this is a profound moment, do I want to be drugged for it? And maybe you do. That's fine. As long as you're like, I'm making a conscious decision for whatever reason, this is what my choice is way more powerful than someone just telling you what you're going to do or how it's going to be. All the things that you can do with that power. Yeah. Raising your children and caring for yourself and creating Mm -hmm. ripple effects in your family, in the world, through yourself and through your children and in your work Mm -hmm. and how you show up as a person. Where can our listeners find you? I am at amandaalapet.com. So A-M-A-N-D-A and then A-L-A-P-P-A-T.com. A lot of A's. Yes. <laughs> Same name on Instagram, just an underscore between Amanda and Alipat. And I'll link to all of these in the show notes. My last question for you, Amanda, is what would you like your children and the people you love to experience with you and to learn from the time that you have with them on earth? That's a great question. I would say that we and they and I are the creators of our life and that it's our responsibility to make it the best life ever. And so when I wake up every day, I want it to be the best day ever. That means that my values and what I hold to be true are reflected in the choices that I make. And so that way I could live in total alignment and in a state of groundedness and peace and, mm-hmm. and positivity. I want my kids and my family to be like, wow, she loved life. She followed her heart. She did her good work. She enjoyed it. She loved people and kept things kind of simple. I think it's incredible that you find that kind of simplicity. I think negotiating and navigating all that, finding your way is really, 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 it should be simple, right? But it goes against so much of what you said is programming because just doing what matters and comes naturally to you and what you know to be true, what you know to be helpful for other people and what you know to be powerful It's so hard to do. It should be simple. I will say this though. Once you get clear, yes, it took me several years, but once you know where you stand, once you know the truth, once you are clear with your values, then it becomes simple. Yes, there's a lot of work uncovering and who programmed this into me and do I believe this or have I been told to believe this? And look, this Mm -hmm. is life work, right? It's ever evolving. So I stay open and I stay fluid and I'm humble enough to know that I might change yes. my mind. Maybe not on the physiologic truths, <laughs> yeah. right? Because that's biology based in our biological truths, right? So I spent, yes, many years getting clearing, getting grounding, getting to a place. So then my life could reflect that. Mm. And I'm not saying this is like an overnight. I've been committed to this for the last 20 years of my life mm. of doing the inner work and going deep and uncovering the patterns and what is my neuroses and what do I project and who do I blame? And, you know, it's ongoing self-awareness practice. Mm. Thank you so much, Amanda, for 
being with us and sharing your wisdom and your insights and your intuition and your power. Thank you. This was wonderful. And listeners, I hope you go find her if you're curious and intrigued. She's a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Thank you. I bow to you, sister. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, Danielle, on on this episode of Early Care for Every Kid. I'm happy to share that Amanda will take $50 off any of her coaching services or retreats for our listeners. Just be sure to mention the podcast. To connect with Amanda and learn more about the services she offers, visit earlycareforeverykid.org slash 10. If you're enjoying these interviews and would like to share your story on a future episode, you can apply to be a guest by sending me a message on Instagram at earlycareforeverykid or on the website earlycareforeverykid.org. Thanks for listening. Till next time, take care.